Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. The podcast where we catch Gabriel up on everything he missed while he was being homeschooled and sheltered from the outside world through his formative years. I would start with right off what the year is, but something um, it, something happened today that uh, for some reason hit close to home to me. It really did. The drummer for the Foo Fighters, uh, Taylor Hawkins, passed away at the age of 50. And th- as the day progressed, it stole. I don't know why it started hitting me more and more. Um, but so I wanted to give a little bit of of moment to like talk about what the Foo Fighters have meant to me and I think to music in general, right? I mean, I started listening to them in the in my teens in the mid nineties. Uh he joined them in ninety seven, ninety eight or ninety yeah, ninety seven. He actually was you know what he was? Uh Atlantis Morissette's first album was made and they hired a, a band for the tour and he was a drummer for Atlantis Morissette between ninety five and ninety seven. In 97, um, I think Dave Grohl reached out to him about like, hey, do you know any drummers? And I think he was ready to like move into a band scenario as opposed to like, a, you know, like a, a touring uh, drummer. And it kind of all worked out. And he joined them in 97 and he was with them for the last 25 years. I saw Foo Fighters for the first time in 97. So I think he joined the band uh, in March or earlier in the year, and I saw them later in the year. I, I distinctly remember when I saw them, and it was the local LA uh, radio station, K-Rock, did a Halloween party every year. Every year. And I think I've told this story before, but I don't care. It's it's my moment, God damn it. And um, a couple friends of, my, uh, of mine, you know, all underage high schoolers, we, um, we, one of our friends was like, hey, I found out with the security guard that if we give him X amount of money, he'll let us in. And we're like, great. So we all bundled up our money, like five or seven of us, maybe, you know, did our uh, Halloween dress up, went to the door. She went and negotiated and then she came back and he's like, you know, we got to wait. And then we waited and then she went back and the dude took the money, but didn't want to let us in. And, uh, we're, we were bummed, like, damn. But she she was not having it. So she started making a scene, and the supervisor for the security came out, and, like, she told him the story and everything. And um, they gave us all wristbands and let us in. So here we are, a bunch of under-18-year-olds at a 21-and-over club at the Hollywood Athletic Club for the K-Rock Halloween party. And uh, Lords of Acid was the opening band. And then the Foo Fighters came out, and they were touring with the Color and the Shape. So it was a second album, and Everlong was just you know the song. Uh, and yeah, and and I, you know that was my first one of my first great concerts. You know, like I remember concerts, but great concerts, that was one of the ones that sticks in my head. And then throughout you know the next twenty five years, I, I've seen them a couple of times. The last time I saw them was at Life Is Beautiful in Vegas in two thousand. 15, 2014, I think. 
think it was, yeah. One of those years. And yeah, it was it was an amazing night to begin with, dude. I got to see Broken Bells, got to see the Arctic Monkeys on the same night. And then at 10 o'clock, the Foo Fighters hit the stage and they did not stop until 12, like 20. These dudes just went hard. And the Sonic Highways uh, TV show was just out. So they played Something for Nothing, which is a, a fantastic song. They just played everything under the sun, just back to back tracks. Dave Grohl got into the audience and there was a walkway that led to a, like a tower, like five feet away from me. And he climbed the tower as he was playing. I mean, he just, he lived every expectation I had of him. Like that was just a normal day to him, but it was an extraordinary day for me, you know? Um, but yeah, so for the last 27 years, they've been a band that's been almost Every week I listen to a, a, a Foo Fighters song. And with the passing of, of uh, Taylor, part of me actually thinks like, well, the band's done. Like, right? you know, like what we know as the band is no longer. Now, Dave Grohl will continue. And I mean, he's done. He was drumming for Tenacious D. He, them Crooked Vultures. He did, you know, Queens of the Stone Age. Um, you know, they just made this movie, Studio 666, and they, they released an album based on the, on the movie from a metal band. You know, they did the Bee Gees covers. It's, it, it, that's one of the things that, that really st sticks out to me. It's like, this is a band that was on the same wa wavelength, you know, like, they were all in. And that's what made every one of those things that they did work so well, because there were no naysayers, you know, like... They were like, no, we're doing a Bee Gees cover album. All right, we're doing it. We're doing a movie. All right, we're doing it. We're doing a soundtrack to that movie as a fictional band in the movie. Okay, we're doing it. Like, there was never a doubt in there. You're like, they just, they were all in. And that's how something works. You know, when that frequency aligns between these four or five individuals, and it just makes sense. And, and I feel like it may be... I don't know. Maybe it, it, again, it just happened. God knows what the plan is. I don't. Yeah. I don't foresee it continuing. But it hurt me a little bit to know that for the rest of of my life there will be no new Foo Fighters music, and that that's because music is so important to me in my life. It just made me very sad to think about the fact that I will never hear uh, another new um, Foo Fighters song. So it just. It's been a weird day to think about that for some reason. It really has. Yeah. My uh, my memories go back to our early 2000s and hearing them on the radio because they'd come up fairly frequently. And uh, I want to say Learn to Fly was probably one of the earlier. My my, my buddy made me a, a mix CD did he, with did a he, bunch of music. Did he rip a CD for you? <laughs> yes. Back in the day. <laughs> he burned and one? Learn to Fly was on it. And... Uh, so I had that was that was my my earliest copy of a, a, a Foo Fighters song that I possessed, and they were always like a, a one of those bands that I wanted to see. That was like a bucket list kind of band, and I didn't I missed out on the uh, Life Is Beautiful when they were here uh, initially, and I got to see them literally December of last year, 2021, oh. and that that was like the culmination of a lot of waiting and uh, looking for when they're going to tour at somewhere where I can get to reasonably. 
uh, I wasn't uh, even uh, aware of, I mean, exactly what Taylor brought. Like, I mean, he's the drummer, but he did uh, his cover of uh, Somebody to Love. Mm. Uh, and uh, so he got to do lead vocals and Dave got on the drums and like, that was fantastic. And so like, I only feel like I just discovered that. And yeah, so it's it's tragic when uh, when something happens and it feels so premature. Like nobody's going to be surprised when uh, Rolling Stones, when, when somebody drops, you know, like it's been a long time. It's been a lot of miles. It's going to be sad, but you kind of can't, you know, can't nobody can avoid it forever. But like, man, it just feels so untimely. It does. It really does. And it's not like the band, you know, like it's not like the band uh, retired, you know, it's mm-hmm. they were weird to say they were in their prime like they were just they, there was no stopping these guys they're you know they, this is the equivalent of the red hot chili peppers right like they're just 10 years behind them like literally yeah uh in that in that they're i just don't see them as a band that would stop or retire or get into an argument after 25 years i feel like that would have happened 20 years ago it doesn't yeah. you know like it doesn't it just yeah it just made me very sad today though and uh, and uh, yeah, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to, to talk about just what an influential band they have been to me. But I think, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say that there's yeah, musically. Yeah, there's probably 20 years of bands worth of music based on the influence that they they uh, gave, you know, so many new bands in the last 25 years. But yeah, it's just uh, it's a bit of a bummer to have started the day that way today, and I and I get it in Europe because you know I'm eight hours, ten hours, eleven hours ahead of everybody, so <laughs> for me it was like the beginning of my day, and yeah. uh, it just it just uh, it just it was very sad. But yeah, the entire day I've been just celebrating uh, his music with the uh, Coattail Riders, and you know the the Foo Fighters music in general, basically, um, and then you know, was planning on watching the Studio 666 movie, you know. So I was all, I was hyping myself for the movie uh, when it becomes available on Amazon for me to rent. Um, but yeah, so just, uh, yeah, just a, that was just a way to start the day. It made me really think about the last 25 years and how they've been a part of a lot of my of my experiences. They have been there through every album, through so many so many different parts of my life so just a, a very uh thought-provoking day thinking and not even thinking about mortality or thinking about none of that crap no just incredibly sad that the world will have just a little bit less music because of his passing and that that is sad to me that that we we won't have that because of it yeah but you know, let's not be a downer here. Let's talk about what everybody is here to talk about, which is the year 1993. President Clinton. Jam-packed. Yes, jam-packed. President Clinton nominated Ruth Bader Ginsburg to serve on the United States Supreme Court in 93, Gabe. Legend. Legend. The Eiffel Tower welcomed its 150th millionth visitor. Movie tickets cost $4.14 in America. 
and the first webcam was connected to the internet. <laughs> right. Ne never knowing the future it had in store for it on OnlyFans. Not even a little bit. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Um, so we're just going to skip over the uh, where were we? I was a teenager. Gabe was five. You know, great grandpa. Moving forward. Into movies. Just again, for the sake of time, I want, I want to at least be able to get to things. So, Gabe, if I play this for you, Ooh. will you know what this is? All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. The 12 gauge double barreled Remington, S Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. That's right, this sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about $109.95. It's got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right, shop smart. Shop S-Mart. Fantastic that... advertisement. <laughs> I want to buy one. Does that sound familiar? Uh... Yes, not from having seen it, but be from its pop culture fame. Uh, Evil Dead? Is that what it's called? Evil Dead 3, technically. Army of Darkness. Okay. There you the, go. Yes. Uh, horror fantasy comedy film directed and co-written by uh, Sam Raimi. By the way, the reason why he got the budget to make this movie, because Evil Dead 1 and 2 were cult movies from the 70s, 80s. Yep. He got basically the uh, ability to be able to make this movie based on the success of the movie he wrote uh, and directed Darkman, uh, technically a superhero film. Did you ever watch Darkman back in 1990? No. Again, uh, a very interesting movie. But anyway, that movie gave him the credibility to then for him to be able to create the third part of uh, Evil Dead, which is Army of Darkness. It, go it grossed $21 million on an $11 million budget. So, All but yeah, right. this is Bruce Campbell, uh, basically at his best, I feel like, playing the role of Ash, uh, again, for the third time. In this movie, it's present time. They are no longer in the cabin of the evil dead. He's got a missing hand. He's lived through his thing, and he's working at a S market. Uh, and the portal to hell opens up, and it sends him back in time. With a shotgun and a um, very and a, reasonably priced shotgun, very reasonably and uh, a chainsaw for a hand, and it's a fantastic movie. <laughs> I fucking love it. Have you seen this movie? I haven't. You I, haven't. I'm aware of it from a pop culture. That's the only reason I rec. Well, first of all, I recognize Bruce Campbell's voice, so that's right, iconic. Okay. That is iconic. And uh, based on pop culture exposure in other mediums, I, I recognize it, but I have not seen it. Okay, this is definitely right up there with Almost Famous, Shawshank Redemption. It's on the now, list is what I'm hearing. Army of Darkness, yes. All right, the next movie. I know you're going to know this uh, chant. Ready? Ready? Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhyme. Get on up. It's bobsled time. Cool running. Cool runnings indeed. So you've seen this movie, I imagine, right? A long time ago. long time ago. Yes, this is the uh, movie loosely based on the, <laughs> the true story of the Jamaican national bobsled team's debut 
in competition during the 1988 Winter Olympics. $14 million budget grossed $154 million worldwide. That's what you call a success. This is considered, I think, John Candy's last movie premiering while he was alive. Because I think it did two movies after this, but but uh, they didn't come out until after he passed. Mm. Yeah. It's a fantastic movie, I'm telling you. I have been late to work because of this movie. It's such a fun movie that, that once you start watching it, you just don't want to stop watching it. And yes, like we talked about in the 1993 movies episode, if you haven't heard it, please go back and listen to it. It is... Terrible that even though they're all black actors, we're supposed to assume that they all speak in a Jamaican accent. And turns out, terrible Jamaican accents based on Little Jamaican people's uh, feedback. That is a phenomenal film. I, I think everybody should watch it. I think there's nothing wrong with it and that it'll grow on you if it hasn't already. So, so when would you say was the last time you watched it? I think it had to be early 2000s. So like... A good 15 to 20 years, depending on exactly when it hit. It comes with the access uh, to satellite television. Okay. I think I watched it last time within the next, within the last five to 10 years. Um, again, it's one of those movies that plays on TV more in the States. Well, here I have to yeah. search for it. So I will say that. The third movie we're going to talk about. It's a movie called Carlitos Way. Have you heard of this movie? Besides the conversation we had uh, on on the other episode. I've definitely heard of it. Okay, so Carlitos Way stars Al Pacino, Sean Penn, Penelope uh, Penelope Ann Miller, Luis Guzman, John Leguizamo, and uh, Vigo Murdison. It's a crime drama directed by Brian De Palma based on novels uh, of the same name. Now, Brian De Palma and... Al Pacino previously worked on another movie that is probably one of the greatest films ever made. I think it's not in the top 50, the top 25, Scarface. And it's basically Al Pacino plays a a guy named Carlito Brigante. And this is where the stretch is. A Puerto Rican criminal. (laughs) I know, I know. It's problematic. Here we go again. Sometimes his accent slides into scent of a woman, I want to say, but but exceptional actor. Anyway, he plays a Puerto Rican criminal who has vowed to go straight and plans to retire in some island paradise. However, as most criminal historical information um, proves, it's difficult to escape that life. And he ends up being dragged back into the same old activities that got him into prison in the first place. The unfortunate thing is it's one of those movies that went under the radar because by 93, Scarface was pretty infamous. You know, it had become quite a a cult classic among moviegoers. So Carlito's Way was being treated like another Al Pacino gangster movie in the in the business, you know? So I think it, it got um it got typecast and kind of thrown to the side. But it was a it's a it's a really, really good movie. It really a is. Victim of his own success with uh, expectations. I mean it's one of those things, right? You have you have the same director and the same actor and you had 
uh, you know, Scarface. So you kind of think, oh, they're going to go in the same path. And, and, and I think that actually hurt it, but it's a, it's an exceptional movie. It really is. It's, it's, I highly, highly recommend this film for anybody, but uh, not, I mean, you've heard of it. And uh, yes. well, I got to ask though, have you seen Scarface? I have seen Scarface, but uh, I'm, I, I'm suspicious because I would have seen like the spike TV. So it had to be TV edited to some extent. I, I, I thinking back, it had to have been right. It would have so, had to do some TV. If it was under two and a half hours, then yes. Yeah, I'm sure they did. All right, that makes sense. That makes sense. Moving on to popular TV shows of 1993, we have 60 Minutes, Home Improvement, Seinfeld, Roseanne, and Grace Under Fire. TV Another shows. Theme. TV shows that ended in uh, 1993. Does this? intro sound familiar to you Gabe play the whole thing but uh i i we just don't have time does it sound it familiar? does sound familiar but i don't have a clue like I, I feel like i've definitely heard it so this is a tv show called doogie hauser md it ran for mm-hmm. four years from 89 to 93 and it was a medical sitcom technically with a little bit of comedy it had what's his name neil patrick harris as a star of the show as a teenage physician who balances the challenges of practicing medicine with the everyday problems of a teenage life he was a child prodigy that like basically raced through high school in 10 weeks and just was like a 14 year old physician um and yeah medical medical show like he treated and did things like what we see in er and Grey's anatomy now except in a half hour 45 minutes i think now, the show was created by Stephen Bochco and David E. Kelly. Now, if the name David E. Kelly doesn't sound familiar, it should, because this man is prolific in creating TV shows. Let me, let me, let me give you a list of TV shows that this individual has created or was an executive producer of during his, um, his tenure, right? So you start with... This is the man who gave us L.A. Law. Now, did not create L.A. Law, but was the exec- executive producer, which means story editor, supervising, just creative consultant on that show, right? Then he gives. He, then he does create Doogie Howser, M.D. He also does Picket Fences, Chicago Hope, The Practice, Aliment Beal, Boston Public, Boston Legal, and... I mean, he was part of like the original back in like 10 years ago when they were trying to make a Wonder Woman TV show. He was also uh, part of creating that Goliath that was on for about five seasons with Billy Bob Thornton. Big Little Lies, Big Shot, which is a Netflix or Disney Plus TV show. And he has about five more shows in line waiting to come out. The dude is again prolific yeah prolific in the work that he's been doing for the last 20 years so 
Doogie Howser MD, was that on your radar at all? Not at the time. I've definitely I've heard of it. But you still haven't seen it technically, right? Nope. Interesting. Um another show that ended in nineteen ninety three was the Saved by the Bell TV show. Was that a show that you watched or were aware of eventually? Eventually aware of, never watched it. So the Saved by the Bell was on for four years, and it was basically a bunch of kids in a high school. And, um, I mean, it's a, a group of people roaming the halls of a fictional high school. That's basically what it was, and like a really cool kid who got away with stuff. And, yeah. So four seasons of that, and it ended in 1993. Now, the funny thing about that is that in 93, two spinoff shows started based on Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell, the college years was on for one season where it followed the same characters from the Saved by the Bell TV show into their first year of college. And the second show that started in uh, 93 based on that show was Saved by the Bell, the new class. Now that was on for seven seasons from 93 to 2000. And the show had the exact same concept. Um, It followed a group of students you know, in this fictional uh, high school. But what they did differently, though, is that every year they almost changed the entire cast with the exception of the principal and I think the Screech character from the original. Kept those two, but kept changing the cast. So every year was a new cast, fresh faces, and they were able to maintain the show fresh that way for seven years. Pretty clever. So that guy who played the principal got 11 years worth of work out of this TV show. Pretty impressive, right? Probably qualified to be a real principal after all that. I think after all that, he might have. Now, the next thing I'm going to play for you eventually does have the name of the show in the theme. So I might cut it off right before that. Okay. But do you recognize this theme song? I think it's about to say the name of the show. Does that sound familiar at all? No. Then let's continue. Does it sound familiar now? Yes, although I don't remember it being so uh, rock. So I will say this. uh, The first season had this, right? Uh Now, season two might sound like this. Actually, it sounds just as much rocky as the first one. Are you thinking? Do you appreciate the the swish swish sounds of someone? You do. Are you thinking maybe of like the ringtone? <laughs> no. So here's the thing. I, uh, my exposure here. I have a very specific Power Rangers memory. So we would be. Ooh. We had friends whose house we'd like to go over to. Um, not at all just because they had uh, Nintendo and we would just sit and play Mario or whatever forever, but um, legitimate friends and. I remember one time in the afternoon when we were there, they were like going to watch Power Rangers because like that's, you know, that's their show. 
we weren't allowed to watch, so we had to go in like a different room or something. Wait, really? My mom was just like, "No, nah, they can't watch that." Man, your so, mom is tough, dude. I gotta meet her. My my exposure specifically was you're not allowed to watch, and I don't know if it was like the violence. I, I guess I assume, because um, again, I, I you know pretty early on, I, I imagine, in you know still fairly young, but I mean, it's pretty campy. I, I'm aware of that now. Super but, campy. But uh, yeah, we weren't we weren't allowed. I did have a Power Ranger toy at one point, though. I had a figure. I had the black Power Ranger. Interesting. Okay, so the other show that started in 1993 was the Animaniacs. That was a debut. They were on for five years. What do you remember about the Animaniacs, Gabe? I saw a little bit of them when, uh, like, after, like, on WB, like, after Looney Tunes or something sometimes. Like usually we'd be watching the the older the older stuff. Some sometimes after that you'd catch some of the Animaniacs. I don't know if the timing was off or if it was specifically being avoided. I honestly couldn't tell you because I don't have a specific memory. But I just remember seeing some of them sometimes. And like cartoons are cartoons when you're a kid. Like it's all it's all gravy. It is all gravy when you're a kid. Yeah. Uh, on for five years. I remember the Animaniacs because of the very specific uh, main characters. But also because of the side characters, like Elmira, the little the little girl who would just hug anything fluffy till it died. Pinky in the brain, obviously. I remember that they also had like a direct-to-video movie that they made. Um, but yeah, I remember like one of the guys sounding like uh, Ringo Starr, right? Wacko, I think he sounded like Ringo Starr. You know, very, very um, catchy uh, phrases. And yeah, I, I just remember it was a, f a funny show that was making fun of popular TV at the time because I remember they would parody a lot of the TV shows that were on. But just poking fun at itself, it never took anything serious. I remember that as a kid, I enjoyed it. And then I remember watching it as much older in my 20s and still enjoying it. So some of their, you know, double entendres and innuendos worked for both children and adults. I think that's what made it a success, that they were able to to walk that fine line of like, this could be an adult show, but this is also very much a kid's show type of thing. Yeah. So yeah, no, uh, it started in 95, uh, 93 um, for five years. And it had two spin-off shows, if I recall. The last show that we'll talk about uh, that directly connected to Bruce Campbell was The Adventures of Briscoe County. Does this ring a bell? Oh, uh, sorry, there's no audio. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, weird of him to say it first. Um, no, it doesn't. I I don't know that I know of that one. So Briscoe County Junior, or the event, or Briscoe County, or however however you addressed it, was a really good TV show. Again, Bruce Campbell was a star of it, and it was a weird Western science fiction show that that routinely included elements of like steampunk in that genre at the time, which where it wasn't quite as popular, you know? Yeah. So it ran for one season for 27 episodes. Uh, like I mentioned, Bruce Campbell played the main character of Briscoe. I remember, like I said, like technology, science fiction, steampunk was a theme that ran throughout the entire show. And it was comedic too. There was a lot of humor, um, as a uh, was a large part of that show um so you you like saw like a motorized bicycle and you saw a um uh 
a suit for deep diving. You know, like it, it messed with those things at the same time that it was telling the story of a Western, you know, uh, time. So uh, super funny, super great show. And, and it, it was basically this gang of outlaws kills his father and he goes out for revenge slash, you know, um, closure, you know, in his life. Because he, he, the main character, was like, um, he was a lawyer. He, he went to law school, finished all that, and then became a bounty hunter. And I think he disappointed his father. As one does. Yeah. He disappointed his father. And after his father was killed by this gang of outlaws, he went after them to kind of... One of those two skill sets was much more useful after his father died, it sounds like. <laughs> you proud of me now, Dad? I'm sure he used some of his lawyering skills somewhere along the line. But yeah, no, it was a really, really fun show, if I recall. Honestly, it had a great cast of people, too. Reoccurring characters. Yeah, no, you know, like, uh, Bruce Campbell has just been all over the place when it came to, like, my childhood. He was in a lot of the movies and TV shows that I watched. So this one I, I, I definitely highly, highly recommend. Moving on to people who died in 1993. Now, I'm a big fan of jazz. Uh, more Miles Davis, Coltrane, Mingus type of jazz. But uh, Dizzy Gillespie died in um, 1993 at the age of 75 uh, from pancreatic cancer. Now, in the 40s, Gillespie and Charlie Parker, another uh, influential jazz musician, became the major figures in the development of what we consider modern jazz now and a little bit of bebop. They were the guys who basically influenced the guys that I listened to. You know, so the Coltrane's and the Davises and the Minguses and the Monks all those guys, as much as I love them, they were listening to Gillespie when they were coming up in the world. So uh, Dizzy Gillespie died in 93. I um, know about Dizzy Gillespie thanks to my granddad. I imagine, who, uh, yes. I figured something timely like this might be right up your alley. As a musician, uh, I know my uh, granddad, who was a clarinet player. Oh, really? Um, yep. Uh, was a fan. But also, I... I wish I remembered better now. Like I know he used to tell stories, and uh, I mean, always fascinated. And I, I want to say he saw him at some point, which isn't surprising. It isn't. My my granddad is from uh, Louisiana, like New Orleans specifically. That's crazy. A lot of jazz dude. clubs. You know, and back to our original conversation, right? There's there's a whole host of children now that will discover our current music 10, 15 years from now, and they will discover Foo Fighters. And we'll be the granddads who are like, oh, yeah, I saw, so them, I saw the them live back in the day. They were great. <laughs> While they're listening to like electronic boops and beeps or whatever the future holds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know, there's yeah, a... Robotron's good. But have you heard the <laughs> there is a DJ named DJ R2D2 right now that's just playing beeps and boops. It's already happening. <laughs> it's or- you know what's funny, dude? I was I was watching um, the Bodega Boys, uh, Diesel and Miro, and they were talking about the CEO of Saks, um, Goldman and Saks, who, as a pastime, he is a DJ, DJ Solomon D or D Solomon, like the dude is is part of the of the of the headline. Well, not the headline, but part of the what's the word I'm looking for. The list of of uh, artists that are playing at Coachella. 
Wow. <laughs> the head the head of the CEO of Goldman Sachs <laughs> is DJing at Coachella and he's what on the billing. What a hobby. <laughs> he doesn't even need it. Nah. But, but that goes to show you what music and the power of music does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Moving on to a second uh, individual that died that uh, made quite an impact in the world as we know it. Frank Zappa passed away in, in 93 uh, at the age of 52 from prostate cancer. Yeah. Now, he's he was in the music business for about 30 years. And he... What I loved about Frank Zappa, but also hated about Frank Zappa, was he was like rock, pop, jazz, fusion, orchestra, like just everything. If it, if he thought it sounded good, he produced it and made it and and released an album of it. So there's great Zappa songs and there's just Zappa songs I will never get that somebody else did. Um, in his 30-year career, he produced and released almost 60 plus albums he also prolific yeah no he also directed feature films and music videos designed apps uh, uh, album covers and is considered to be one of the most innovative and stylistically diverse musicians of his generation yeah there's some really fantastic songs by great by by frank zappa but they're overshadowed by just how much he put out there because the dude could not be stopped. He's an amazing, again, when you find an album you like of his, you love it. But if you try to follow him and be with him, he's almost like Tom York from Radiohead where like I was in and then after OK Computer, I was out. <laughs> Kid A, all that's I was like, nope. I, you just got to know when to get off the train. Frank Zappa very much that way. But yeah, he passed away in 93. The last person we'll talk about uh, who died in 93, does the name Brandon Lee ring a bell? Yes. Yes. Bruce Lee's uh, son. Yes. He is the uh, the son of uh, martial artist and film star Bruce Lee. Thank you. I first saw him in a movie called Little Tokyo. No, Showdown in Little Tokyo. Yeah, Showdown in Little Tokyo. Where it was like a buddy cop movie with Dolph Lundgren. That was the first time I saw him. I know, right? Wow. Then I saw him in Rapid Fire. And then obviously The Crow was his like crowning achievement. Now, The Crow was filmed in 93. Eight days before the film completed, he passed away during um, an accident on the set. What happened was, like a lot of things that we've heard... A live weapon was used and it wasn't cleared properly and there was something here and something. So basically, in this case, the weapon was used as a real weapon because it was a real weapon. Um, and there was some sort of misfire and, uh, and uh, the bullet, the projectile part of a bullet casing got lodged in the barrel of the gun. So when they put blanks into the gun and they fired like they were supposed to, it actually propelled that projectile out of the barrel actually shooting him in the abdomen and that's basically what happened he passed away during filming a, a scene towards the end of the movie where he gets shot and it's it's unfortunate he died at the age of 28 from this uh shot to the abdomen his father passed away at the age of 32 from 
a similar incident while filming also. But yeah, Brandon Lee had all the potential of being the next great big action star. He was right up there with the Van Dams of the world, with the Steven Seagulls of the world, with the Bruce Lees of the world. And unfortunately, his life was cut short. Now, The Crow has since become a cult classic. I mean, so many people have have emulated it as a, as a part of their life, in movie styles, in everything. One of the things I remember distinctly about The Crow movie, not only the movie, but the soundtrack to the movie, at the time, they released the song Big Empty by Stone Temple Pilots, and it was part of the soundtrack that was a preview to Stone Temple Pilots' second album, so pre-released to the album itself. So I, I always remember that as um as a for some reason I always remember when I think of the crow I think of Sunday Pilots and I think of how that song was released in that in that soundtrack to that movie and in that movie, and then we had to wait for the album to come out in order to be able to listen to the rest of it. That's just a weird little thing that I have with music. But yeah, the crow, Brandon Lee. Any thoughts? Uh, I have. That's one I've definitely seen. And, and was aware of the tragedy surrounding it. Um, it's a great movie. And I, it it feels like, like my thoughts, thinking back, like that, that movie would fit perfectly in the superhero, you know, genre now. Oh, the whole yeah. dark and gritty. Like it was way ahead of its time in that sense. Like we've come, we've come around to that. Because superhero movies of that era weren't necessarily as dark or serious, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Very much, if you ever watch Darkman, very much in the same uh, category. Yeah. Moving on to music, A Whole New World, the theme to Aladdin, was a huge hit in 1993. Aerosmith released the album Get a Grip, which was a fantastic album with such hits as Crying, Amazing, and Crazy. Ace of Bass was a very popular band. And this song that I think is still played today, but I mostly remember it because of the video. Gabe, tell me if you recognize this song. Does that sound familiar? Sounds familiar. I don't know. I don't know what it is, though. A band is called Soul Asylum, and the name of the song is Runaway Train. Mm. Now, what made this song really popular during 93, not only was it that it's a really good song, but in the video, they they, uh, they made a few different versions of the video, but it was because they wanted to show as many missing people's pamphlets as they could. So the entire video was people who had gone missing. And it was like, a, again, brilliant and innovative and really incredibly thoughtful. But the video was dedicated to finding people who had gone missing, women, uh, children, men. So throughout the entire video, they're just flashing different pictures of photos of those missing pamphlets of, huh. of individuals. And they made like, I want to say three to five different videos, depending on their station. So VH1 got one, MTV got one. You know, the the morning TV shows got one. So when they showed the video, it was always showing different people that were huh. missing. Yeah. 
No, it, it was incredible. I remember this. And again, the, and I think maybe that's why the song stayed in my head, but the videos made an impact as far as like... Yeah, that's pretty uh, That's pretty clever in terms of like getting it... Because people will pay attention, you know? The songs will stick. People, it'll trigger a different memory for people, a different part of the memory you might remember when you see something after the fact, you know? I wonder what, uh, I wonder how much of that, if that led to anything, you know, any resolutions. That's a really good question. This is where we insert the um, hold the music while we do <laughs> this research. We know your time is valuable. Thank you for holding. Someone will be with you as soon as possible. Thank you for your call. We appreciate your business and the opportunity to assist you. Please continue to hold. A representative is working hard to take your call just as soon as possible. Great question, Gabe. Thank you, everybody, for being patient while we um, did the research. But 25 missing children were found based on the video, which is really impressive, right? In 2019, the video was relaunched with new missing people in order to create awareness uh, on the fact that, that this was still an ongoing thing. So, great question, Gabe. Um, yeah, 25 children were found. Because pretty good. Yes, yeah, that's better than, than good. I know last week we skipped tech and toys. We'll talk about one tech and toy because we're already over time. But All right. in 93, the PDAs, the personal digital assistants, became very popular. And Apple Newton was one of the most popular of them all. I eventually owned the PDA back in the early 2000s. But apparently in 93, an Apple PDA ran for almost $700. And imagine how little it could do in comparison. Exactly. But very popular in wow. 93 for people who could afford it. It reminds me of that, makes me think of that Seinfeld episode where they have that little personal assistant thing. I'm imagining something similar to that. I don't know if I know for sure what the Apple Newton did, but like that little organizer that kept making noises when Elaine throws it out the window. Or I would she doesn't throw it out. It's thrown out for her. I would agree with you if I had watched any Seinfeld episode from beginning to end. So <laughs> you're on your own on this one, buddy. You could make what up whatever you want. And I'll ha I am forced to believe you. Again, like normally we end with celebrity gossip. But because we talked about David Kelly, I will mention that Michelle Pfeiffer and David Kelly got married in 93. While they were dating, Michelle Pfeiffer was already looking into adoption. So they ended up adopting a child because her adoption went through. And, and then within a year or two later, they got married and they welcomed their own child into the world. They are still together. They're in their 60s wow. now. So good for them. Yeah. I think that uh, we can end it there with uh, celebrity gossip. But Gabe, ending the the year of 93, three episodes now, all the movies, all the TV shows, all everything, any uh, lasting thoughts? I mean, it's the same every time. Like, I can't believe how much happened. Like, I know a ton of things happen in these years that we don't talk about, but for pop culture, this was, uh, this was a massive year for a lot of really good things. A lot of positive things. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I'm telling you, I lived through all these, and I, and I think to myself, like, I totally know about all this. But I'm still very surprised that as I do the research, I find out more and learn more about what happened during these years. So uh, it's it's just as much as a, as, a, as a surprise it is for you as it is for me sometimes. All right, everybody. 
Thank you for listening. Again, we appreciate you. We love you. We count on you. For any new listeners from the future who are going back to the old episodes, welcome. Now that we're rich and famous, we really appreciate you. We still appreciate you, even though we're rich and famous. Exactly. Thank you so much, Gabe, for correcting me. Sometimes all that money goes to my head and I forget about those things. So it's, <laughs> it's fantastic that you do this for us. Keeping us grounded, Gabe, as always. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening.